0: welcome 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 everybody this is islam for christians episode 52 hadith daif examining a weak hadith this month's hadith is from the ibn Majah collection this is hadith 4102 a man came to the prophet and said o messenger of allah show me a deed which if i do it Allah will love me, and people will also love me. The messenger of Allah said, Be indifferent towards this world, and Allah will love you. Be indifferent to what is in people's hands, and they will love you. This particular hadith will sound good to anyone who is either an ascetic, or just has an affinity for those who choose to renounce the world the material world, to renounce the world as much as possible. The first part actually has a very gospel quality to it. Renounce this world to gain in the hereafter. Focus on heaven and focus on the eternal part of the two kingdoms. This is uh, Matthew 6, 19-21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also.
1: So we have a gospel first part,
0: which was, Be indifferent toward this world, and Allah will love you. And then we have a second part, be indifferent to what is in people's hands, and they will love you. That second part sounds an awful lot like the Tenth Commandment, which is, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So this combines renouncing the material world for God's sake for your own sake really and also renouncing the material in the world to make people actually like you so you have a more mystic spiritual message followed by some very practical advice about frankly how to be popular and both follow the exact same theme be indifferent to the material temptations that surround you and this whole Phrase is woven together
1: in a very, very clever way.
0: So, this is really, really great stuff and packaged so perfectly and refined to be as simple as possible and yet still profound and impactful. And that is precisely why we should be skeptical of this. And it's also one of the reasons Muslims are skeptical of this hadith as well. You know, it's just not the kind of thing that looks like a first draft. Most hadiths, as I've said before, look like the thousands of scraps of paper a historian may have laying around before he turns all that material into a book. A hadith is supposed to be raw, unfiltered sourcing. And this one, it just does seem very, very polished. Now, this one might be real. You can't really discount that possibility. Muhammad was a super eloquent guy. It's very possible he said it. But when you combine its seeming perfection with a bunch of other red flags, this is what the Muslims call a daif hadith,
1: meaning weak.
0: Hadiths can be weak for many reasons. But the problem is often the reliability of the chain of transmission, as well as the transmitter. Is the transmitter someone we can trust? Because some random guy named Abdullah is not nearly as reliable as, say, Aisha, Muhammad's wife, who, incidentally, is responsible for many, many sound Hadith transmissions. I don't even know the source for this particular Hadith. But it's definitely not Aisha. They would have said so. Uh, it's purportedly from Saul bin Saad As Sa'di, a companion of Muhammad. But I don't know the actual messenger, the end person who's telling us this, who the person is who said that Saul bin Saad As Sa'di said that Muhammad said this
1: phrase, if you follow that.
0: So to make it simpler, what we're looking at here at best is double hearsay. A quick definition of hearsay. I never want to assume anyone is similar with obscure American terms. I think this is an American term. Um, Hearsay just means I heard someone else say it. I heard that said, H-E-A-R, hear, say. It's a common legal term in the United States. Hearsay is inadmissible in court because you have to actually bring in the person who actually said something to get it into the court record. You can't bring a person to the stand to say, I heard Ahmed say that Fatima took the money. The defense lawyer would say, Objection, hearsay. The judge would say, Sustained. And then you have to bring in Ahmed himself to actually say that. Of course, all hadith are hearsay because Muhammad was not alive for these Hadith collections. But you'd like to keep it to just one hearsay. This person heard it from Muhammad. That's the ideal situation. You know, not that person A heard it from person B, who heard it from Muhammad. And then, unfortunately, it could even be more people. And you want that person between Muhammad and the reader, and this is very important, that person between Muhammad and the reader needs to be reliable. And that becomes even more important if you start to get into double and triple and quadruple and God knows how many hearsays. For example, the ones from Aisha are considered very reliable because of who she is. Yes, that's important. She was the wife of the prophet. But it's also because she was alive for a very long, very long time after Muhammad died. So these sayings could be traced directly back to her. They could simply go back to her when she was actually alive and say, hey Aisha, did Muhammad really say this? And what else did he say? Now this particular hadith that we're examining, it's not like that. It's daif, it's weak. So why talk about this hadith if it's weak? It actually does appear in one of the six canonical Sunni Hadith collections, Ibn Majah, but not in any of the others. Most of the Hadiths I'll use here are Sahih, or Salad, and for very good reason, because you want to say something about them. You know, it's hard to extrapolate from something that you're pretty sure was never said, or you're doubtful that it was ever said. But I chose to use this Hadith this month for three reasons.
1: The first is,
0: I wanted to give you an idea of what a weak Hadith looks like, because we're not really going to see many of them. Weak Hadiths look like weak news reports of the modern era. It has all all the same telltale signs. A weak Hadith is like that news story that cites an anonymous source, or something that just sounds a little too good, a little too on the nose, particularly from an obvious political perspective regardless of which side that it helps. How many of those stories, looking back after a couple of years, turn out to be true? Half? If that, it's not a lot. So, I just wanted you to see what a weak hadith looks like, but also not one that's just so completely ridiculous that no one ever pays attention to it. This one actually made it into the collections. And number two, this hadith honestly, is just really, really thought-provoking. It's good. It's worth reading regardless of who said it. And then, number three. Weak hadiths do occasionally make it into the major hadith collections, so it's just something to be aware of.
1: So, all of this
0: also begs the question, why are weak hadiths in the collections to begin with? And are they worth using at all? The answer usually is yes, but they have to be treated a certain way. Muslims have been talking about this for a very, very long time. This isn't new in any way. Some will say that weak hadiths are worthless, the great fundamentalist scholar Ibn Taymiyyah among them. But others say they have some value. Among those who value these weak hadiths, there are actual rules that they use to act upon them or to give the authority to act upon them or to use them in a theological way. There are three basic rules from the Islamic scholar Ibn Hajar
1: al-Asqalani.
0: The first rule is that the Hadith should not be attributed to a known liar, an accused liar, or someone just generally known to be unreliable someone with a big mouth and a small brain. If the hadith, for example, traces back to someone called Malik the liar, then it indeed is completely worthless. In the case of this hadith, it passes this test because it is traced back to a reliable person.
1: The second rule
0: is that the hadith should have some kind of corroborating evidence it should not be something that stands alone as an outrageous claim. For example, let's say there is a weak Hadith that states Muhammad once said that, say, any horse that was used in a battle should have its toes painted green. Of what use is that? Well, none. Not because painting a horse's foot is either good or bad, that doesn't matter, but because there's nothing else which... With which to judge this. There's nothing to compare it to. It doesn't fit a common theme. You know, it doesn't fit anything else in the life or sayings of Muhammad, and it's certainly not in the Quran, or anything like it. In the case of our hadith, I think it passes this test as well. It fits the larger themes of Islam. It doesn't contradict anything, and it fits in with Muhammad's other teachings. That's probably why it made it into one of the Hadith collections.
1: And then we have a third rule. Rule number
0: three is to be humble about the weak Hadith. Not to say with certainty that the Prophet definitely said it. In other words, don't base anything major upon it. It's not gospel. It's not even an epistle. No doctrine or law should be based should be based upon
1: a weak Hadith by itself.
0: So really, what good is it? Well, not much from a certain point of view. A theologian isn't going to get much mileage out of a weak Hadith, because even if there's something good there, you can only really act upon it if the wisdom being conveyed is already generally known. So it's worthless in a black and white world, in a world concerned with only theology or Islamic law. But if you step slightly outside of that world, it's very good. It's very useful because it's color, it's flavor, it's spice, it's fragrance. It's something already known, packaged in a more beautiful form, which is what I believe this hadith represents. Be indifferent toward this world, and Allah will love you. Be indifferent to what is in people's hands,
1: and they will love you. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah.